We're talking to professor of water chemistry, Dr. Jennifer Ashgrove, one of the many scientists around the world trying to find a solution to the water pandemic. This virus feeds on oxygen molecules in the water that we drink, making water consumption toxic and eventually fatal. Of all the teams around the world, you might be the closest to a breakthrough. Hi, I'm Dr. Lachlan. You feeling okay, Jennifer? I understand you have a bit of a history of having blackouts, is that correct? I know that you're under unimaginable stress. <laughs> Take a little bit of time off, reset your system a bit. It's not possible. I'm just talking about a weekend. We have a farm. That sounds great. Listen, I'm gonna do whatever I need to do to let you guys know that I am okay and to get you off of my back. Joining me today on Moving Radio via Zoom uh, is one of our favorite directors to talk to. Uh, it's been years. Years we've been talking to this man. Uh, he's been making some fantastic films. Uh, usually it's in coordination with him appearing at the Edmonton International Film Festival. He's won awards. He's opened the fest. Uh, he's had so much great work there, and we're just happy to talk to him again. It's our good friend Jeremy Lalonde joining us today on Moving Radio. How are you doing, Jeremy? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're excited to have you. Look, what we're really excited about is the film that you have that's part of the festival. It's called Ashgrove. People are going to be able to check it out Wednesday, September 28th at 6.30 p.m. And that's at Landmark City Center Cinemas, as are all EIFF screenings. Uh, and what's the bonus is that you're going to see Jeremy again in the flesh. It's been will- several years and we want you in the flesh again. It's so nice to be able to return to cinemas and to be able to return to going to festivals. There was, uh, I was lucky there, like you mentioned, we opened the festival uh, my last time there with James versus Future Self. And I had this great like European festival tour planned for that for that spring. And then the world shut down and it was all virtual, which was still nice, but kind of not the same, just not the same. No, no. Well, you did get to Glasgow with this one, though, didn't you? Was that we did? Yeah. Yeah. Glasgow was our world premiere for this film. And ironically, Glasgow was the last film festival I was at with James. So it was a really interesting bookend. Like like The last festival I was at in person and the first festival I returned to and everything opened up again was the same festival. So there was something poetic about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about the film uh, itself. Yeah. Ashgrove is set in the not-so-distant future. As it says there, we see Dr. Jennifer Ashgrove is battling to find a cure to a crisis that affects the world's water supply. That's kind of the one-liner of the plot. Maybe give us a little bit more detail uh, on what you feel comfortable with, with some more insight towards Ashgrove, the film. Yeah, it's not so much the water supply um, so much as it is mm-hmm. that humans have become allergic to water uh there's something in something happened at some point where we all became infected with some kind of thing that has made it so that when we drink water it creates some kind of toxicity inside of our bodies and it's not like lethal from the get-go what it does is it's similar to like mercury poisoning where it builds up inside of us so over time uh it can kill us right so we're we're, we're forced with this like Uh, impossible situation where it's like obviously human beings need water to survive uh we we can't live without it but if we drink too much it kills us right so uh our lead character jennifer ashgrove played by the wonderful amanda bruegel is kind of the the scientist that's at the forefront of this kind of research she's that person who would have been a fairly interesting person at a dinner party 
prior to this happening. And now she's become kind of the most important person in the world because her research is at the forefront of what they think might lead to the cure. What I thought was interesting about this film is that you took a really unique approach in that, you know, maybe particularly at the very beginning of the pandemic, people were obsessed with any kind of like, oh no, where are all the disease movies, right? And and this, I've, and it looks at almost like what's what are the implications to all these people, right? Where yeah. this film itself is so focused on really essentially two people, a couple, and and how Jennifer is kind of dealing with um, herself. Uh, feeling like she's running down and maybe it has something to do with water consumption, but it's about how, her having to take a moment to reboot and not about like the, all these global implications and us seeing that. Um, talk just a little bit about why you chose to go uh, kind of small with it and focus in really on just these, these characters and where they're at and what they're going through and make it more personal. Yeah. Well, how it started was actually Jonas and I, Jonas Chernick and I were, were driving from Calgary to Edmonton uh when we were touring james and we were starting to talk about what do we want to do for another collaboration and um and so jonas I, we both agreed that it's like you know it doesn't have to be comedy we're kind of both known for comedy and so we said you know let's just open the box up and know that it could be about anything so let's just start talking about ideas and jonas said you know i've always wanted to do like a really intimate kind of chamber piece just a couple of actors maybe one or two locations but just focusing really in-depthly on the characters and I said, that's awesome. I'd love to do something like this. Uh, two things I want. The problem is that uh, those kind of movies are usually boring. Uh, and it's really just about the actors patting themselves on the back for, for getting to act a lot. Uh, so I said, what I want, I still want to make sure there's a big hook to the movie. Right. So I said, we can do that, but only if the stakes are the end of the world. Uh, and he's like, that's not what we're going for. That's not what we're doing. But the more we back and forth, then he kind of saw where I was going with this. I said, look, I don't want to see them saving the world, maybe. But I said, what it's about is about the people that are confronted with having to save the world and what that does to a person. Right. And we back and forth more and more. And by the time we got to, we rolled up in Edmonton, we had like a really kind of rough idea. And then literally I called Amanda Bruegel and said and pitched her on this idea. And she was in right away. So this idea was actually born on our trip to Edmonton, which makes it even more special that we're screening there. Because if it wasn't for that drive, I don't know what, what and I'm sure something would have come out of it, but it was, it was really that drive that made this movie come alive. And, and yeah, and just the idea of wanting to, like you said, it's like, you know, on one hand, it's about a woman saving the world, but it's really about the cost of that, both of the people that, both of her, but also the people that, around that right and what's what's fascinating was you know if you think of that timeline of when i said we created that that was before covid right so this idea didn't come out of covid it wasn't like hey let's make a pandemic movie that'll be popular um it was <laughs> yeah, you know, a poor choice <laughs> that's just it so we had this idea already and we're already working on it and then and we were actually worried about it's like do you think people will buy like a giant crisis that affects the entire world <laughs> little did we know uh, people would become very relatable to this material in, in, in a few short months, sadly. But we, um, what, what, what COVID did do for us was make us just kind of really look at our own relationships. And it gave us a lot of stuff to mine as we were already developing this, because that's kind of what Amanda and Jonas and I did, who uh, I, I wrote the script with, is we spent a lot of time on Zoom, kind of unpacking our own situations, what was going on with us, what we were thinking about. Uh, and, and and a lot of that informed kind of the direction the story took. 
Well, I think that's what makes it really interesting too, because in some regards, it's like, it's relatable on that level. But the other part that I thought was really fascinating is how you crafted the story and how all three of you made it so relatable beyond just, you know, the pandemic feelings, right? It's really about relationships and about a, a marriage that is, is in some ways on the brink for a lot of good reasons, right? So um, maybe as we kind of move forward here, talk to us a little bit about, you know, you talked about the main idea and how you came up with it. Talk to us about how the script evolved, because this is a very unique way of approaching uh, this film, right? You could have had a full script ready, but that's not quite what you did. No, because that was the other thing we talked about on that drive was that Jonas and I are both like really anal about our scripts. Like we worked them, we worked them really, really hard. And we also talked about that and wanting to do something unique and different there too. And we were like, well, what if we like kind of worked without a script to some extent? What if we just kind of like came up with a some kind of an outline, but not even really, uh, and just and 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 shot the movie in chronological order? Uh, and that's what we ended up doing. And so kind of what happened was that we created the idea of the backstory of, you know, what happened, what's been going on in the world, who these characters are, uh, Jonas and Amanda and I, and all the actors actually in the film, we spent a lot of time talking about their characters and their backstories. So that way, when every character dropped into the film, we've done a, a lot of work and conversations about who they are, what they're like, how they see the world, all these kind of things. So that way, none of the actors knew what would happen from the moment they stepped into the film. Because at that point, only I knew. Me and my my wonderful assistant, Spencer uh, Giese, who uh, was kind of like my other keeper of all the secrets, I had a very rough outline for what I thought would unfold for the movie, but I was leaving myself open as well because I wanted to see where the actors' motivations took them, right? I always had this outline as a bit of a safety net but I really, really, we really wanted to embrace the idea. We saw this film initially just as an experiment. Like, let's just do something in a way that's different than any of us have ever worked before. And if we screw it up, that's okay. You know, we even convinced some people for our funding that it's like, we might not finish the movie. Like the movie might be terrible. Uh, we reserve the right to never show it to anybody. And you got to be okay with that. And they were because we also on the side shot a documentary about the process. And we were like, and if the movie turns out terribly, the documentary will be great because it'd be about how a bunch of Canadian filmmakers screwed up a movie. Luckily, the movie has turned out okay. So that was the process. And, and, and it was so amazing. And the actors loved it too. Amanda said it ruined her for doing all of their kind of work because there's something, you know, actors are trained to always be present. Like that's their job is to just always be present and, and make it seem like things are happening to you for the first time. And to actually have that be the experience uh, because even between takes, I would shift things up. I would take each actor aside and give them separate notes. And the other actors would have no idea what was coming at them in the next take. Right. So they had no choice but to just be really zoned in and dialed in on the other actor because they didn't have lines to memorize or cues to hit or anything like that. It was a very free flowing process that was as about as collaborative as it can get in terms of making a film. Joining Sam Moving Radio is Jeremy Lalonde. We're talking about his film, Ashgrove. It's going to be featured as part of the Edmonton International Film Festival. You can catch it Wednesday, September 28th at 6.30 p.m. And that's at Landmark City Center Cinemas downtown, as with uh, like 98% of the EIFF screenings. Uh, and of course, Jeremy will be there too, which is an amazing bonus uh, to talk after the film. Uh, who knows? You may even talk to you before the film if you're super nice and uh, you approach him kindly. 
right? Yeah, I'm very friendly. <laughs> I'm not saying that's my experience. I'm just saying be nice. I'm just saying be nice, Jeremy. That's all I'm saying. Did you, because I mean, you kind of put Amanda and Jonas in this situation where they kind of felt like it was like they were exploring things. And you talk about, you know, you leading them there in some ways and, and having to keep some of that information of where the plot is going you know, a little bit uh, obscured, right? So that they mm-hmm. can discover those moments more honestly. Did you feel like like a process like this? You talked about it for the actors, it kind of cracking something open and talking about it being freeing. Was it that experience for you too? Did you feel like, I don't know if I could do this all the time, but this is a way of working that I, I'm very attracted to now. And now that I know it'll actually make a movie and not just a documentary about how we couldn't make a movie. Mm-hmm. Are you like, I'm, I'm kind of liking this. I would think that I would do this every three or so films. For sure. I, I like the cast of this movie is begging is already begging me. It's like, when are we doing the next one like this? Because they, they just became addicted to the process. Um, and it's definitely something Jonas and I have talked about too, but, but it's akin to kind of what happened with this was that I don't want to just do the same thing again. Right. So for me, I'm like, it almost, it almost has to become kind of a new experiment uh, and shifted in some way. And I don't quite know what that is yet. We've definitely talked about a lot of different possibilities and scenarios but we haven't quite landed on anything just yet. But Jonas and I have a weekend this October kind of scheduled for he and I to brainstorm. So uh, after that, hopefully we come out with something. Yeah. And worst case scenario, just get in the car for three hours and you should yeah. be able to nail something down. Like just, just driving, driving just somewhere. Come, we'll do it. Yeah. Come back <laughs> no, to Alberta. That's really too far to drive, Jeremy. You're in Ontario. It's a very long distance. Uh, then you'll definitely nail something down at this point. I felt like, and we talked a little bit about this before uh, we started recording here, is that I felt like that this is one of the more intimate films that you kind of have uh, have shot. The way that you shot this film is so intimate and a lot of handheld stuff. And just like, it, it really feels like you're in a room with these people. Um, and that kind of emanates from the screen in a lot of ways. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, how you approach shooting this differently than maybe other work that you've done. And uh, some of the conversations that you and your cinematographer, Robert Scarborough would have had about this film and how you wanted to approach it. Yeah. So um when when Rob and I when we when I brought Rob on we he loved the concept of how we were going to approach it and how we were going to shoot it right um, but because usually typically when you work with a, a DP you know you end up doing you know shot lists and storyboards and these kind of things right but because of the nature of this film that's not something we were initially going to do we definitely talked about certain images I had in mind and, and the kind of shots I wanted to do for certain areas and moments and the kind of things we wanted to hit. But again, it was very, and this was kind of the rule for everyone in the film, not just the actors, was the idea, it's like, dare to fail. Like, I'm hiring you because I think you're awesome, and I think you're smart, and you have great instincts. So, you know, the ball is in your court to kind of, like, do your thing. And so, similar to the actors, like, there was no rule for where Rob had to be in a scene during a take, right? We'd set up kind of an area to play, and so that way he could light it nicely enough and then just kind of we created some boundaries inside of each scene where the actors could and couldn't go um but other than that it was a bit free-flowing so if rob felt the need to pan over to an actor during a certain line that was fine uh you know and we would do multiple takes so if i really wanted to be somewhere in a certain spot i'd kind of gently let him know it's like hey it'd be great to try to find this if we can but he was able to kind of shoot it some scenes anyway not you know in a way that's similar to documentary 
um, because he, we were just following the what was interesting and, and whatnot, right? Uh, and because that's also the danger, like I think a lot of films that are improvised, first of all, I, I know people hear the word improvised film, they go, oh God, uh, you know, because it because it sounds like it's going to be a play that needs that should have been edited down about a half an hour. And that's definitely not what I wanted to do. I wanted this thing still to be tight and lean and focused. And so that was one of my my big directives, too. But also, I didn't want that. I wanted it still to be cinematic. And that's tricky when you're doing something improv. But I think that's kind of the magic of Rob is Rob was able to, like, understand what we were going for. Uh, both in the capacity of allowing the actors this freedom, but also, you know, knowing that we wanted to still be cinematic and still feel like a movie and not just feel like an improvised play. What I felt like watching, because, you know, I, I got a, a background in theater as well, uh, and I live with it every day in my job as a teacher, right? That I, I looked at it as like, I always kind of see films like this and I say like, oh, that's very uh, stagey, even like something like Night of the Living Dead. I'm like, that could work on a stage. But how do you make those closed places more cinematic? And I felt like as soon as you got to the farm, um, to, you know, their their uh, estate, their farm out in, on, it was actually, was it in Ontario that he is shot it, this, I assume? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we shot this. So that farm like, is just in, in Kitchener. Yeah. And I thought that kind of unlocked it. I, at least I thought when I was watching it, I kind of felt like as soon as you brought it into like the outdoors in an intimate setting, instead of like offices, like uh, science, trying to figure out what's going on and how do you uncrack this mystery of why water is poisoning us? That's what really opened it up. And it made you feel like you were inside that relationship. I don't know. Am I way off there? Is that kind of what you were going for? I think so. Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, we, again, we wanted it to be simple, contained, but we also like the beauty of that farm is in my, my wife's family. So if, if free location for an indie film. And also I knew, you know, we, we'd be able to shoot there safely during COVID, but also I just knew that it's like, cause the danger of doing like a chamber piece or like a one location movie is that the, the visuals can get stale and old real fast. But what I knew about the farm was that, it had like, you know, 20, 30 sets built into it. There was, there's lots of different rooms, lots of different avenues for outside to shoot from. There's the garden, there's the, the swing, there's the, the river, just only a, a five minute walk from the laneway. So I knew that there was lots of visual and it wouldn't have, it wouldn't feel claustrophobic necessarily, uh, unless we wanted it to in moments, right? And the film certainly does. But it could also breathe where we needed to breathe, and and because that's another danger too with these like small talky films is like they they become very um, claustrophobic. But everything's indoors, right? And so I I love the idea of being able to like step outside and letting it breathe, uh, and and allowing in, and not just having it to be wall to wall dialogue either, right? Let, letting moments of I, I hate I hate saying improvised, but improv being also silent. That's funny. That's exactly what I was doing with my students today. I was like, okay, less talking and more uh, reacting and feeling each other out. So I was like, those kind of things work and they translate and they're just all like, they're only 16 and they're just like, whoa, this is crazy good to watch, even though they said 10 words. I'm like, yeah, it, it can be, right? If, you, if you're putting out that energy, but uh, clearly you're dealing with professionals, so they know how to do that and they're not as blown away by it, but it works for audiences, right? Yeah, for sure. You'd be surprised, but all of them, all of them felt like they were going back to theater school in a weird way because it was just like a different kind of acting that they hadn't been asked to do in a while or ever. Let's talk about the score too, because we had discussed mm -hmm. this before, because you've worked 
with Ian Lefebvre for a while. Uh, I had to look him up. I mean, I was fascinated. I was like, oh my God, I have heard of this guy. I mean, he was in Sky Diggers. And <laughs> so I was like, oh, he's been in bands I've actually heard. And he's been doing the score. Uh, he got nominated for doing the score for uh, your last film, yeah. as well as like uh, working best with Best Original Song. Yeah, he, he got nominated for Best Original Song too for yeah. James. Fantastic. Yeah, so, I've been working. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just like, tell us a little bit about your relationship with him and how you approach the score on something like this. Yeah, I met Ian in jail. No, um, <laughs> I kind of just met him through a friend of a friend when I was looking for a composer for Go-Getters and instantly fell in love with him. And often he writes with a, a partner named Stephen Kreklow, who is, has done a lot of the scoring on my films too. Ian and, and Steve work as a team. But for this one, we had a really low budget, didn't have a lot of money for the music. And so kind of similar to everyone else, the way I worked with the actors, worked with Rob, was when I approached Ian about it, I said, look, it's like, I'm going to cut the movie without temp music, which I never do. And I'm just going to give it to you bare and you're going to score it. And, you know, I'll have some thoughts and we'll do some feedback back and forth. But I want you to like go with your gut on this. And I want you to do whatever you think makes sense and, and natural. And he came up with this idea of wanting to write songs. Like, I think like at one point he had an idea similar to um, the way the graduate used songs um, from Simon and Garfunkel throughout, like writing a couple small songs that could that could fill through and flow through. And the only thing we really worked out in advance with Ian was that kind of the music for the ukulele song that Jonas's character plays was Ian wrote that and kind of helped jo taught Jonas how to play it. And then we we improvised the lyrics on the day. But the mu that music was the only thing we really that we we kind of worked out in, in advance. Otherwise, I kind of wanted Ian to not think about it too much. Um, I wanted him to just kind of let his instincts come into him, too. And I think he just did. It, it's got such a beautiful, haunting, simple quality, but still has like these moments of grandiose. I mean, and there's so many different like facets uh, of of score that he's using too. When whenever those emotions change, and and there's those songs that you talked about, I love that you kind of said Simon and Garfunkel because when I was listening to the songs, I was like, man, this is so incredibly melodic and just harmonies. Uh, the layers of that are really kind of like pulled even more out of the film. Uh, so I, I mean, it it really helps it as well too. And it's amazing that you're like, not only do you write those songs, but he wrote the parts of the score which are completely different tonally than those songs would be so uh it's kind of like he would look he's pulling out all the tools out of the box for this film well that's just it because i told him too i'm like i'm not going to put it in we're not going to like license any songs it's going to be 100 percent you every single piece of music in this movie is going to be you and so he loved that too he loved the idea that he gets to do all the all the pieces and the poor guy, I, I won't ruin anything and spoiler, but there's a sequence in the film where it's like wall to wall music for about 20 minutes. And he's like, this is the longest cue I've ever had to do for the lowest budget movie I've ever had to do. And it's like, you're welcome. But maybe the gift was is that you're like, but I gave you the ukulele song to write. So yeah, audience, when you see the film, you will know what we're talking about. I'm not going to say anything about it, but it's a fantastic moment. That was not a gift. He had to teach Jonas how to play. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Jonas should have like went full method and learned just like his character did for months he, he, at home. He did actually that that came from like his, that was one of his COVID projects was learning how to play the ukulele. Ah, nice, nice. Uh, we've been speaking today with Jeremy Lalonde. We're talking about the film Ashgrove. It's featured as part of the Edmonton International Film Festival. You can see that screening on Wednesday.
September 28th at 6.30 p.m. at Landmark City Center Cinemas 9. You can get tickets at the theater itself, or you can always go online as well to uh, edmontonfilmfest.com, and you will get all the information there, that's for sure. Jeremy, uh, I'm hoping people's interests are piqued about this film right now. How else can they connect with it? And you know what? If you want to be real sly, you can also promote all the other fabulous stuff you do on the side whether it's the podcasting, whether it's the food stuff, it's up to you, buddy. You be yeah. as shameless as you want, Jeremy. Oh, I will be. So we're, we're on all the socials for Ashgrove, uh, Ashgrove Film on Instagram. Um, it's kind of our main one. Uh, the, the wonderful Amanda Brugel runs that for us. But yeah, I also, um, I have a podcast called Black Hole Films that you can listen to wherever you listen to podcasts. And it's about me sitting down with other filmmakers and actors and they, we watch movies that one of us have never seen before and then talk about it right after. And the other thing, my a kind of side project that's kind of grown over the couple of years is a thing called PB with Jay, which is um, myself. I went plant-based years ago and kind of became an amateur cook, uh, did some schooling and whatnot during the pandemic and have my own some some cooking certificates. And so I have a website, pbwithjay.ca, that's full of like delicious comfort plant food uh all tasty tasty stuff and um there's a youtube channel as well called pb with j tiktok all the things so you can find me there if you're on those those platforms and and it's all and we do it with fun and love it's not like luxury it's not about us being better than anyone or anything like that it's all about like trying to eat delicious food that also just happens to be good for our bodies absolutely i uh, i can testify to that it is it is fun and interesting i've watched many of those I haven't made all of your recipes. I tried a couple though. Would you try? Well, I said I was like anything that's for energy. <laughs> I was like I do that. So, but it was good. I'm not on the TikTok though. Sorry, Jeremy. That's I'm okay. Only, I'm only on your gram. I'm only on your gram. Hey, uh, it's always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you at the screening. It's going to be a fantastic time. I can't wait till the audience sees this entire film. It's going to be a great conversation after. Uh, you know, and you'll be charming as you always are. So uh, everybody show up to the theaters on Wednesday, right? Well, now, the, now the bar is set, so I have to come and be charming. I'll take my charming pills. Yes, absolutely. You definitely be uh, on lots of medication. I suggest <laughs> that for everyone in the audience. As much medication as you can get. 